This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry and with me is Tim Parrish and Clemente Lisi. And today we're going to talk about the 2023-24 OPG hockey set. We'll also talk about that 1979-1980 OPG hockey case, full case, that sold for $3.72 million at auction, including Briar Premium. And we'll talk about a few other odds and ends. So, uh, gentlemen, how are we doing? Clemente, what's up with you, man? I know you had plans last week, and we we took a bye week, but that's okay because I was able to post that Bernie Perrant interview. How are you? How have you been? I've been good. Uh, I've been traveling a little bit. I uh, spent a little bit of time in the UK. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, and last week was the bye week, but it was fun to listen to the interview again because it reminded me of the time we spent at the expo. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a good time. And Tim, how, how have you been? I've been waiting for somebody to ask me. So. <laughs> and? Oh, I didn't know I had to answer, though, too. Yeah, um, okay. Um, I'm all right. I'm here. That's good. That's good. I'm alive. Your card room didn't flood th- this year yet so far? No, but we had another flood in the basement. Okay. You can believe that. Yeah, but. The sump, the sump pump went out. Um, oh, no. Yeah, it rained a ton uh-huh. over here. And the sump pump went out in the middle of the night, and there was water on the floor, and it seeped out through the laundry room into the hallway. So, yeah, not fun. And so that had to be replaced. So The joys of being a homeowner. People, pe- people wonder why I don't spend billions of dollars on cards. This is why. This <laughs> is why I don't. Because I have a house. Your card room's on the different floor. It's on the, the lower floor. First floor is what most people call it. Well, if it was a first floor, but I live in a split level house. So depending on what side of the fence you live on, some people call it a first floor. Some people call it a basement. I call it the lower level. I gotcha. Yeah, the lower level. That makes sense. Well, I guess Sal's question is, is your stuff at risk of getting wet? It could be. I don't keep stuff on the floor very right. often. Right, right. But like in my actual, what I call the card closet or the card garage, everything's on shelves. So it's up off the floor about an inch and a half, two inches. But everything's carpeted down here. So if it gets wet, it's going to be a nightmare, which it has been. Like a big sponge. Luckily, this time it wasn't on carpeting. It was just on the tile, but it seeped out into the hardwood. So. Hopefully we don't get any curling. I had a fans on it and everything else, and then we replaced the pump. And no new cards for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, glad uh, glad you didn't flood and lose stuff. I remember when you're you had the bathroom that like like the toilet or sink clogged or something, and that like the toilet kept running. It wouldn't yeah. stop. And yeah. It just overflowed and kept going, and it did it all day for seven hours. Jeez. So. Yep. That was the first time that it was really bad. We had to tear out all the carpeting and do all that. I had pulled all my cards out of there. I really didn't lose that much. I, lo- I lost a 3,200 count box of 2010, 11 upper deck, mm-hmm. like a full one. Cause that was back when I was over buying. Um, and 2011, 12 also one like that. That was it. And I lost like a bunch of my shipping supplies. 
like empty cardboard and stuff like that, which I don't care about. It's not worth anything. And, but that was it. So I didn't really have like an insurance claim or anything for cards, but rest of the house we did. So what are you going to do? It's the money pit, right? Yeah. So I've been told. Clemente, do you want to talk about your article that you had recently published in Sports Collectors Digest? Should we just talk about that now? Oh, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I haven't, you know, I haven't even gotten it yet. So, yeah. Is that a cover uh, article? Yeah. It's a yeah, cover article. Yeah. You got a cover, cover number, article? Cover number two, uh, after Dang. Bedard. I did a piece on, on Gretzky collectibles, which is the kind of piece that, let's be honest, it's evergreen. That could have ran any time. It actually coincidentally ran around the same time as this case now being sold. So that was kind of good. But yeah, no, it's uh, it was you know I did some reporting at the expo, I did some reporting afterwards, and if anyone who knows anything about hockey or loves hockey, you know Gretzky is this enduring uh, you know figure in in our sport, not just hockey. I think it transcends maybe uh, maybe with the exception of Michael Jordan, maybe the only other athlete I think that um you know in terms of enduring quality over the decades. Um, and so it was fun because it you know all of us remember Gretzky playing. And so it's nice to go back and, you know, go down memory lane. And so um, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, it's probably in, in your mailbox now. I haven't I, I haven't got my digital copy yet. I, I usually get it in my email. Maybe I, maybe I got it today. I don't even know. But thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, it was a fun article to work on. I'll tell you what I like about the Sports Collector Digest retrospective articles, like, like the one that you wrote. So obviously I know a lot about hockey. I don't know a lot about other sports. Like I know enough about other sports that I can carry on a conversation with somebody and like seated at the same table together. And this guy's a football fan and I'm a football fan. I know enough about eighties, nineties football that we could like carry on a conversation. But like when they have an article about a player that I've heard of, but I just don't really know a lot about their career. So then I, I'll read those articles. I'll say like, yeah, I heard of this guy. He played in the 60s and the 70s. I mean, I know the name. I recognize some of his iconic cards. But then when someone, like how you wrote an article about the player, and then I learn about that player. And it, so I like those articles because I'll be like, I know enough about Joe Namath or I know enough about Jim Brown. I know there was a Jim Brown article because he, he passed away, you know, last year. But like... I like those sorts of stories, even though I'm a hockey collector, I can appreciate that. So I would hope that non-hockey collectors would see your article and say, yeah, you know, I know who Gretzky is, but now I want to know more about him. And, oh, here's this nice article about him. And actually, I got to point out something, though. You actually wrote two articles because then you also wrote one called Wayne Gretzky's Top Cards. Yes, it was like a sidebar. Yeah, it looks like a standalone article because they gave it its own separate thing. You have some of the you have, you have a quibble with it. Well, I mean, you <laughs> you didn't really push the envelope here, my friend. You said that the best card no. is the seventy nine eighty Opeechi rookie, followed by the Topps rookie, followed by the Opeechi second year, followed by the Topps second year, and I'm like, okay, I see a theme here. But then you like bucked the trend after that because I've read articles like this where people are like the top five Gretzky cards. And it's like 1979, 1980, 1981, 1982, 1983. And I'm like, wow, I really learned a lot here. But you brought up the Jersey card where he's holding up. Sorry, the, the Jersey card. Tim, what, 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 why are you laughing, man? Because it's like, 
he writes his article and you're just like tearing it apart. <laughs> no, no, no. Because then when I turn the page and I'm like, okay, the 8889 OPG card, the 8889 Tops card, which I think is like one of the most significant cards in sports collecting. In sports collecting, yes, I've said it. And then you talk about like some of the harder to get inserts, one of his early autograph cards, a young gun that they put out in 0405, and then an actual jersey card, with like a jersey piece, like one of his earliest jersey cards. Not to spoil the article for, for you people listening, <laughs> you listeners, sound like Don Cherry, you people, you people who listen to this podcast. But no, so then, like I said, when I turned the page, I was just like, oh, okay, this took uh, an unexpected turn, and this is really freaking cool. So I will say two things about Whenever there's a sidebar, I will say this. So every time I do one of those, and not often, but whenever I've done one, either for Puck Junk or for a CD or whoever, I get accused of like pumping cards. And I'm like, okay, but you know, when someone says do a top 10. Who the heck would do that? Right. (laughs) Yeah. But when they say do a top 10 of this player, oftentimes I don't even own half of those cards because I might not even collect that player. So that's one. And number two I was going back and forth as to if I say the number one card is his Opeachy rookie, could I omit the tops one? Because it's identical. Let's be honest, guys. Like it's the same card. But I thought it's not. It's not in the sense that it's a different dollar value. Um, one is more rare than the other. So I treated like them like a totally different card. That's why that first couple look like that. But then after that, I bucked it, obviously. I don't want to say, okay, Opeachy rookie and then Topps rookie doesn't make the list. That would have been weird. Well, right? no, but the thing is, is that like the, the, the Topps and Opeachy rookies are always going to, because if all the other, if the second year card is here, the first year card is way off the chart. There's I mean, a big gap. There's sure. a huge gap. It's not yeah. like certain other cards. I, I, I can't think of like a good recent example. I mean, there there always seems to be kind of like a big jump, but this isn't like, you know, okay, the Lemieux rookie's worth $500 and then his second year card is worth $100. This is like the second year card might be worth a couple hundred dollars and the rookie card is worth like in the thousands or like thousand or more. You know what I mean? So there's such a huge, whatever you want to say, gap or, yeah. or whatever, yeah. divide. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What did you use for the scientific study to come up with your list? There was no scientific study. It was more like, let me do a little what? research. And then I was like, look, the ones that are worth a lot, you have to put them on. Because I've been accused of also, people have said, oh, you know, I love these lists, but like, I can't afford any of these cards on the list. And I'm like, well, look, these are the biggest and best cards of this player. And we talk about Gretzky. I'm not going to put a $2 card on there. It would be weird unless the photography is great. Or it's got a great backstory. And so I tried to find cards. I was like, look, what's his first patch card? I don't know the answer to that. So I had to do a little digging. Right to find that card, and I thought, okay, well, this card is is worth something, but it's also for someone who doesn't know, this is like one of his first patch cards, right? So it's so it's both my a lot. Of, it was a lot of firsts. significance. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of like firsts because Gretzky is such a record breaker. I was like, let me look for a lot of firsts. That makes perfect sense. That was my thinking behind it all, but otherwise, there's so many. Gretzky cards that are great. I mean, the ones I found that were the the least interesting were the ones when he was a Ranger, I'll be honest. But otherwise, the ones, you know, all the other ones are iconic, especially in the, in the what we call the junk wax era. I almost considered putting the pro set one where it was the 2000 points one. I like that card. 
and that's worth what the a dollar. With the orange border on top of that. Yeah, or the one with the he's got the arms up in oh, the air. Oh, it's and no it's, silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's I the silver know. one, and it you know, and it's like maybe that I could put that on there. It's a dollar card, and it's like super common. I was wrestling with the photography, but also how iconic is it, and what's the demand for it. But it's not scientific, obviously. It's you know, if if all of us came up with the list of top ten, we'd have ten different cards. I'm sure we'd have some overlap, but we'd also have different cards on there. I was just teasing you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's it's good to push back a little bit. So like, you know, that, since you have me on, like I can. Well, no, it. but I've seen a lot of, and, and I'm not nowhere comparing you to any of these guys, obviously, but I've seen a lot of like garbage bloggers who will be like, here's the top 10 Gretzky cards. And then it's like 79, 1980, 1981, 1982. Oh, we're going to mention the Gretzky card where he has the long hair. That was like the red rooster card that they ended up like destroying. They only printed like four of them. They'll throw something really esoteric in there. Or like there was even one blog that like took an image from Puck Junk and it was the fake Gretzky card that shows him as an Indianapolis racer. And it was like, well, you know, I mean, this would be a good investment because it pictures him before he went on to his fame in the NHL. And I'm like, uh, dude, that card was printed in 1990 and it's a fake card. But this um, investment site that gives investment advice about sports cards. Come on, just say it, okay? No, it's, it's, it's an investing site about sports cards. And they, they, they took the image and they like didn't even read the article that they took it from. They didn't copy the text. They just copied the image. Still had my watermark on it, which was fine. Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson. Didn't read Sorry, the article it. itself that said that the card was fake. You know? Okay. Right. But, and, they, and they're giving investment advice, which is super scary. But anyways. Yeah, that they're telling you to invest in a fake card that doesn't exist. But it'll move the market. Yeah, right. People start searching like, on eBay for that car that you were talking about. No, but I stayed away from all the like the weird stuff, like the team issues and all. I mean, I just stuck with OPG tops, upper deck, like the you know the stuff that you can get. I mean, I didn't. Do I, but what's really exciting about the team issues, other than their team issues and they're maybe kind of a little off the beaten path? Not much, right? No, right, right. We might like but, that, but one of the team issues I really wanted was an eighty nine ninety. Um, Rangers set because it had a, a Mike Richter card a year before all his rookie cards. You know what I mean? So like, right. that's the kind of stuff that I like, but, and, and that I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast might like as well. Right. But you, you guys have seen it shows and I know at the expo, I've seen it. The, the, the Gretzky card with the, with the, with the longer hair, the prices for that could be crazy, but I just don't see that as something appealing to me. So I didn't include right. it, but right. Exactly. Yeah. But people would include it because you're right. All these lists I seen online, and, and then when I did my list, I didn't look online for lists. I was like, I don't care what people write. And so it's funny that you say that people just chronologically put his first like six years on there, or every Oilers card he's ever had, let's say, for right. example, just to just to cover their bases. Yeah, I've been waiting 35 years for somebody to make a Gretzky card for Waikiki Hockey from the old Saturday Night Live skit. Dude, I have it on tape. Yeah, see? Somebody should have made a card out of that. No, my favorite sketch was the uh, when Wayne and Garth play Gretzky in the uh, hockey game on, on the small yeah. ice rink. No, Gretzky was good on SNL, like, when he did it. I mean, I still remember it. I remember watching it when it was on, so. <laughs> but for a guy who doesn't, you know, who doesn't have any acting chops, he was pretty good, I thought. Well, yeah, I mean, so obviously his 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 wife's an actor, and she tried to get him to do more acting, and he didn't want to do it. And 
I remember reading somewhere that if the Kings won the cup in 93, Gretzky was going to be on Saturday Night Live again. But as we know, that didn't happen. The other little fun fact, this is something I just found out in the most random way. Like in that Saturday Night Live sketch where Gretzky is playing against Wayne and Garth and Wayne scores a goal, I was always like, well, who's that Kings goalie, right? Because they just had some random goalie, right? And I find out years later that it was John Davidson who put really? on the pads in the Kings jersey. Yeah, because wow. I found a picture that was posted online of them suiting up for that sketch. And it's it's JD, because, of course, JD was retired by then. He was living in New York. I believe he was the Rangers color commentator. He was, that's right. Like, say, 1989. So he would yeah. have been the guy that they would have called on and said, hey, can you come in to do this uh the sketch or this this comedy bit or whatever right right so uh, not that he did much comedy they just needed a goalie to like let in a goal but you know well no we 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 mentioned this at the christmas episode john davidson was in the lighter side the hockey vhs tape that we all you know love uh, and he was the host of that remember the host of oh yeah of uh, uh, hockey the lighter side that's right and so that's like the only com the, the only acting credit he has on imdb that and this I don't know he gets full credit for being in the SNL skit, so. Yeah. So let's talk about this OPG case that went for, with buyer's premium, $3.72 million. So it was like $3.1 million. It was a heritage auction. A couple shows back, we talked about this 1979-80 OPG hockey case. 16 boxes of 48 packs, 14 cards per pack, 10,752 cards total. So that's going to average about 27 cards each. I mean, considering that if you get like a pretty even distribution, yeah, there's going to be some variance because it doesn't divide evenly by 396. But we said, yeah, there might be 24 Gretzky rookies. There might be as many as 28 Gretzky rookies, probably somewhere around 24. 27 would be like if everything divided evenly and then we just had some cards had like 28. You know, some are going to have 28 so just to give a little bit of perspective, one of the reasons that drove the price of this case so much is that in December of 2020, a PSA 10 OPG Gretzky rookie sold for $1.29 million. And then in May of 2021, another PSA 10 OPG Gretzky rookie sold for $3.75 million. And how many PS 10s are there? Two. Oh, so like almost 12,000 of these graded by PSA and only two PSA 10s. Hmm. So let's do the math on that one. And even and even the 10 is a generous grade, some people have said. So. Right. They'll be like, how's that a 10 with that centering? How's it a 10 with those edges? The jagged edges. Jagged edges. No, but what we're saying is that the odds of taking out these cards and then getting them graded and then hoping for a 10 and making your money back, the, the odds of that, you said 12,000 cards, two of them are 10s. Those are not great odds. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go out. I wouldn't go out ripping ripping packs quite yet. See, I don't know what a nine sells for, but a nine. If you got twenty four Gretzky rookies and they graded all at nines, that would still be a lot of money. But then you're paying a lot of money to get them graded, and then you're paying what PSA charges is on a sliding scale based on the value of the card, which you know is BS. Then you have to sell them on a platform where that you have to pay your own premium for selling them. So. The profit margin here gets thinner and thinner as, as you go along. Just look, think about this. If you have 12,000 cards graded, right, and only two of them got a 10, 
and you're two out of the two out of the the whole entire group that got a ten are going to get between a million and a half and three million dollars, right? So that's that's your window, right? Your odds of pulling another ten based off of the entire population of what's been printed is slim to none, and slim left town. But these are unopened packs. Even if you look at one percent, it doesn't matter. They can be unopened packs. It does matter, though. It absolutely doesn't matter, Sal. We we know this. The early '80s and the late '70s, Opeachy products especially succumb to off-centering, glue marks, gum marks. Yes. The shredded edges, you know, the, the corners being smashed. I mean, if you look at that original box when they posted that box. The whole bottom corners of, of all four were kind of dented and smashed in. You're talking about the case, the, yeah, the, the case, case box. Yeah, the case yeah, box, yeah. the the carton. So does that mean the stuff inside was messed up? Not necessarily. Whether you trust Baseball Card Exchange or not, whatever, that's besides the point. They opened the box. They took everything out. They inspected it, sealed it up, put it all back in. Great. But if you're turning, you know, two out of, out of 12,000, if there were 120, out of 12,000, that's 1%. We're not even anywhere close to that. Like, this is a fraction of a fraction of 1%. So, if you're releasing 24 of these, 24 more of these out into the wild, your percentage, based off of simple math, says that a whopping none of these are going to be 10. I mean, you're going to run the risk and maybe pull one. So you pull 110, you, you got yourself another million and a half. It doesn't pay for the box. So let's say none of them are a 10. You grade them all. They're all 7s, 8s, and 9s. Okay, yeah, you can still make some money, but you're not going to make your full case price back. And even if you look at all of the you know, next tier down players and the, the better cards that are in there, high grades of all of them, yeah, some of them sell for a little decent amount, but there's no way you're recouping this. There's no way. And I'm sorry, people can disagree with me all they want and say, yeah, but you're going to get this and you're going to... No, nothing's mint in that box. Like You may find a few things here and there, but you're not you're not going to pull a full mint Gretzky out of it. I don't see any way that that's even possible. Well, there's two camps. One, one camp is like, you got to keep it sealed or keep it intact because that's a one of a kind thing. And the other camp is like, you need to open every pack and live stream it. <laughs> now, I can understand buying it and leaving it unopened. This is apples and oranges because this is a set that's 10 years later. But you guys know that I, I like the 9091 Pro Set Hockey Set a little bit. No, I'm kidding. It's like a set I'm obsessed with. And I saw on Facebook Marketplace, somebody had a sealed case of 9091 Pro Set Series 1 hockey, and they wanted, I think, $300. It was like 20 boxes. So I did the quick math. I'm like, oh, that's 15 bucks a box. But the thing is, is that I would buy it and not open it because, yeah, there might be a Stanley Cup hologram in there, but... I would just enjoy having a sealed case of 9091 Pro Set Hockey. You know what I mean? So, like, I reached out to the guy. I said, hey, would you ship this to Chicago? He says, no, I don't do shipping, just local pickup only. I said, yeah, that's fine. Okay, thank you. And I really don't need to have a sealed case of 9091 Pro Set. But I could kind of understand that. But that's still $90 less than the per card price of this case. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, when you break it down. Yeah. That's kind of a crazy thing. 
And whether you buy into the fact that the buyer's premium counts in the purchase price or not, it does. So I don't care. It does. You pay taxes, you pay fees. doesn't matter what platform you're selling on. If you sold it on eBay, it would still cost you like $3.6 million with all their fees. So either way, you're still dealing with that. So the 3.72, that's the price out the door. That's what it costs the person to purchase this. So you, you look at that total price and you break all that down from there. And you can come up with a per card price and a per Gretzky price and this, that, and the other. At the end of the day, I'm one of those people that are like, if you open this, you will be sorry. Now, maybe it'll be fun. Maybe you'll bust open a case, crack open a box. You'll pull two Gretzkys in one box. And you'll be like, you know what? I'm done. So guess what? Now you got a bunch more cases. Individually, you could sell those off. You might be able to recoup it by selling those off if you want to open one of them. But I bet if you held this for maybe a year, I mean, could you make at least what you paid for it back? I would think so. Now, I mean, I guess it really depends on if the economy takes takes a turn for the worst, like people are predicting later in the year. But, you know, who knows? But I think we're assuming that the person who bought it is looking to sell. Do we it. know? Did they say who it no, is? No, we don't. We don't know who it is. And I assume whoever spent this kind of money on this has many, many millions, and so they don't care. They might just feel like this is a guilty pleasure. I'm, I'm going to rip it for fun on camera, right? Or they're not worried about recouping. That's like stuff we would do. It's like, oh, I bought this, and now I want to recoup some of it so I can buy more cards in the future. I mean. Someone's dropping like $4 million on this estimate, you know, like they don't care. You know, they, they must have many, many other millions that they, you know. The economy is not going to affect them like it's going to affect us. I mean, it's going to affect, I mean, Tim, yeah, Tim is right. It affects everybody in that other potential buyers of even just one box. I don't know how much a box goes for. Is it 20K? I don't know. No, it's more than that. It's more than that. Okay. So you have a sealed box and it's 20, 30, 40, 50 K, whatever. And I've seen shows where it's like sitting there in like a glass case with like a spotlight on it. People stare at it like, woo, amazing. But, you know, but you're not going to buy a box and just rip it, you know. But I would hope the person who bought it loves cards because I love cards enough to know that I don't want to just buy a big cardboard box and have it sit somewhere. Like that, that's not fun. I think Golden and Heritage both sold individual sealed boxes for somewhere between 250 and 300 okay wow. by themselves wow that's... yikes so that's wow. individually so if you had 10 boxes feasibly that's three million bucks right but yeah again is it way better sealed as a as a whole package or do you want to break them off individually if you want the fun of opening it great do it it's your box if you break them off, it may lose the value of its the total. But I say, like, if you can sell each one for two fifty or three hundred, let's say, but you want to open one, at the least you can do after spending three point seven million dollars, say I'm going to open one of these for yeah. fun. That, that that's the only thing that I would even slide over to the other side of the fence to condone is be like, hey, let's have fun and, and bust open one of them and hope there's no GI Joe cards in it. Right, but I don't. I don't agree that you open all the boxes because now you're swimming in thousands of cards that aren't worth anything for just those Gretzkys that may not bring. You know, it could be a lot. It could be a lot of sevens in there and sixes, you know, 
And so and that's the, that's the rub because if you look up sales, regardless of the alphabet graders that graded them, once you get down below, oh, they're eight, affordable. They're affordable yeah. then. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, ones and twos are still selling for three, four hundred dollars, but in the grand scheme of things, there's a big difference between three million and four hundred dollars. <laughs> there's a huge gap. So. You get these lower end grades, you open up a much wider audience of people that are willing to spend five grand up to 10 grand, you know, maybe even 20 for something that's a little nicer quality versus somebody that can plunk down, you know, almost $4 million. I don't know. I don't see any way out of this other than a long hold. I, I, I really don't. I think I, I I even said on Twitter I think yesterday or the day before or whatever that you got to treat this thing like the like the Ark in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, like if you open this you're going to be sorry because nothing good is going to come out of it. So, oh my God, that's funny. Treat it like the Ark. Don't open it. Just look at it. It's like a it's all catch twenty two. It's like you there's this box out there and yeah. it's like very appealing and luring and then you buy it but you can't open it and there's all exactly. you know the math doesn't make sense and we talked about this last time and now we're talking about it again and it's like the only purchase i can think of where you buy something and it doesn't satisfy a need it just becomes a bigger problem and so you know i don't feel sorry for this guy or that's all trading cards you know it is weird it is very weird in terms of like a purchase i've never seen an auction item like this before you know it's like it's it's odd that you that you buy this big purchase and then it would come with more problems or more issues and it wouldn't it wouldn't satisfy a need it's almost it's very bizarre in that mo money mo problems exactly mo gretzky's mo problems but it's you know i i almost envy like the person who bought the gretzky 10 that makes more sense than this whole box of 12,000 cards that with a potential for more gretzky's but it there's no guarantees and so if I'm this guy, I would have gone out and tried to buy the 10 or a 9 and not even mess with this box, but whatever, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm reminded of a quick story. This is when I really, I never really thought about grading, and I still don't really think about grading, but this kind of opened my eyes to the world of grading. I was waiting waiting in line at the National. This might have been in 2017. And this guy had, under his arm, he had a whole case of 89 tops traded baseball sets. So I looked at this case that said like contains 20 sets or 40 sets. And I remember at the time you could get a set of 89 traded tops for a dollar. And I looked at him and I said, wow, you must really love 1989 tops traded baseball cards. I was being facetious, you know, I was, you know, I was trying to be funny, but I wasn't being like a jerk about it. And the guy looked at me dead serious. And he said, these are still sealed. They haven't been searched. I'm hoping to pull a PSA 10 Griffey rookie. And I'm like thinking, wow, like everybody makes their money off of people who just have that dream of getting the the perfect graded card that they're going to turn around and then sell for a lot of money. Because I'm thinking like, if you could get the whole set for like a dollar, 
or $2 or $5. What's the Griffey worth? Maybe a buck or two, maybe five. But then like, if you get it graded, okay, yeah. But then you had to pay to get it graded. But the guy who sold the whole case to this guy was thinking, oh, cool. I sold this whole case of junk wax to this chump on the dreams that he's going to get a perfect graded card out of it. You know what I mean? So it's like everybody else makes their money off of the person who thinks they're going to cash out and make that top dollar card. Like if I had that case of Opichi hockey, I'd either want to just keep it as a case or I'd want to sell it like the seller did. You know what I mean? Like let somebody else figure out what they're going to do with it. And you just make your money in the interim. Yeah. You're making a good point, Sal, which is the people that sold it, they didn't think twice about selling it. I think they they didn't think about opening it and getting a ten Gretzky. They didn't think about any of it. They just sold it. You're right. So maybe this guy, like like Tim says, you got to hold it. But now the the truth is, the family that already had it, it didn't cost them nearly as much as this guy paid for. Right. So now, how do you make a profit off of this? It's difficult. And you know, we keep pointing out this this Ted Gretzky sold for whatever amount of money, but that was during the pandemic. Right. The prices were higher. And so I don't think that you're going to get that anymore. And if the economy tanks, you know, luxury goods like this become totally secondary. And so then it's a long hold. And now you have this big box you're sitting on. And if I had this box in my basement, I'd be itching to open it, I think. Or I'd open one of them or something. I mean, it would be calling right. me. It would be calling me at night. Like, so I don't know. It's, you know, unless the person is a total businessman who doesn't care. He's like, I just bought it. For fun, I don't even like hockey that much. I don't care about Gretzky. I mean, I can't imagine someone who doesn't have those things would purchase this. But maybe we're thinking too much with our heart and not with our wallets. But I feel like you're right. The more money, more problems is really totally a thing. Yeah, if you look at my wallet, here's how much money I have in my wallet. (laughs) So there you go. For those visually impaired, there was nothing in there. Yeah, cobwebs. No, but yeah, look, it's it's look, it's definitely something that people are going to talk about, and like. People are talking about this everywhere. Like it's all over the media, general media. It, people were talking about it when it was up for sale. Now that it's sold, but it shows you this—the allure that Gretzky is. Though, think about it, right? Like the only other person who can do this would be a Jordan. You know, a collection of eighty-four Jordan. You know, like Fleer cards would would bring this kind of money, maybe more. But you know, very few athletes could do this. I feel so. You know, um, it's good for hockey. People talking about Gretzky and, and hockey cards unfortunately they think all hockey cards are worth money and it's not the case and everything is expensive and it's not, not true. And so, you know, we have to spell that, you know, and all these big ticket items always make break into the news because dollar amount is huge. You have to give it this though. It took some of the discussion heat off of Bedard's young gun. That's about ready. for five seconds. It did. Yeah. 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 So it's been nice to not have to hear anybody talk about that for at least Three or four days. As we're going to prepare to speak about Bedard's cards yeah, exactly. now. No, I but yeah. Yeah, it's given me something else to write about for the newsletter. But you know what? Let's talk about the, the two recent Jersey retirement ceremonies we had. So we had the Pittsburgh Penguins retiring Yaramir Yager's number 68. And then we had the Chicago Blackhawks retiring Chris Chelios's number seven. And, you know, they're both great ceremonies. One thing I just want to point out, though, just so I don't forget, is that neither of these games were national broadcasts. Should they have been? Should they have been for everybody to see? I know that there was a complaint on Twitter that uh, the Chelios 
retirement game or that the ceremony. So that game was on the NHL network. So if, I guess if you didn't have NHL network, you couldn't see it unless you were in the Chicago territory, you know, broadcast territory, which I am because I'm in, actually in Chicago. So they started that two hours before game time. Game time was five o'clock. They started it at uh, three with the ceremony. With the Yager thing, with the Yager retirement, that was on ESPN Plus, but they had the retirement ceremony as like a separate thing. So instead of like the game, you know, starts at this time and it includes the ceremony, it was like I selected the game and it said, this doesn't start until six o'clock or five o'clock or whatever. And then I backed out and then I saw another thing that said Yager retirement ceremony. And then I clicked on that and then it said it was about to start and it did. But then when that ended, then it just like cut out and back to like the ESPN commercial loop. And then I had to like back out of that and then like find the game and then like click on that. So they made they, they made it work. They made it work for you to to find it and to. And to they made it. it work unless the Yager game was on was on NHL Network. Then I wouldn't have been able to watch it, and I would have probably been throwing things at the wall because I would have been so pissed off about that. But but actually, they streamed it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't know what the Blackhawks did with their stuff, but the Penguins actually made it available on every single one of their social media platforms. They streamed it, so whatever you had, you could find it. Which is good because you have all of that access now. Why not use it, especially for something like that? That's not a, that's going to unite the fan base, you know, nationwide and even worldwide, because you're talking players that haven't played in the NHL in a while. So most of the fans and everything of them are from the past, and you got players that arguably were icons for the teams that they played for and they played for multiple teams so it kind of like can bring in a whole bunch of viewers that you know maybe you like chelios better when he was on the canadians maybe you liked him better as a thrasher who would think that but whatever you're entitled to your opinion nobody liked yager better as a capital though so that wasn't really good but you know any of the other teams except for the flyers I'm I'm good, Beth. I'm cool. That, that, that's all good. But that ceremony was, I don't know. I, I watched them both. I liked them both. I liked the way they put them together. I honestly think the Yager ceremony outdid the Chelio ceremony. They were both well done. Like both teams did a really good job with putting them on. Uh, I, if we're comparing the two, which one's better? I think the Yager ceremony was little better but i'm biased of course so you know I, i'm looking at that with homer eyes which i'm sure you would be sal with chelios too being well i'm gonna player. point out that so. at the chelios ceremony had eddie vetter wasn't in the ceremony but he was at the united center dennis rodman was there cindy crawford was there wayne gretzky was there mark messier was there and these weren't even people who were like in the uh, but that came out on the ice. These were just people who were there. I mean, they would cut away and like, there's Brett Hall, like laughing and clapping, right? And he wasn't even one of the guys that brought out, like Chelios knew so many people and was like so connected that like I, every time like it would cut away, I'd be like, wait, is that is that Gretzky? Like they're not even announcing that Gretzky's at the game, but there he is, you know what I mean? Like they were both really good. I liked the way that there were a lot more Penguins 
from the 91-92 teams out there, the 90-91 and 91-92 teams. Like Chelios, I mean, he had some of his teammates out there, and the Blackhawks don't have didn't get any championships when he was on the team. But I thought there would have been like maybe a few more players like on the ice, but whatever. I mean, it was still a good, great, whatever. You're, you're happy to see them recognize the players, you know, the player that you grew up watching and idolizing and whatever. So, yeah, I never miss those. I mean, I always try to watch them whenever I can. Whenever I see someone's getting a number retired, it's just like that's the game I'll watch, you know, just drop what I'm doing, going to watch it. I mean, didn't they retire Lundquist's number a couple years back? I think they did. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I'm conflating it in my mind with the Hall of Fame ceremony, so I don't, but, you know. Yeah, no, I'm I'm trying to think. There was a, there was a Jersey retirement, and I remember, like, like, I want to say it was Lundquist. Gosh, I hope, I hope so. Now I'm going to feel bad if he wasn't. Didn't I mean, it could have been another Ranger. I mean, are you, are you getting at the fact that, like, Messier shows up, Graves, all those guys show up, but whenever they retire a jersey, I mean. Yeah, so. I mean, no, just the point is that, like, I'll, I don't care what team it is. I mean, I like Lundquist. I like the Rangers. I watch the Rangers, but, like, I, I'll watch any, any team retire it. And yeah, it's a total trip down memory lane because it's always guys that played, like, when we were kids or young adults or even like, you know, like in our 20s or whatever. I mean, yeah, I'll get all choked up when the Blackhawks retire Jonathan Taves' number or Patrick Kane's number or, you know, uh, Duncan Keith's number, right? And and even though those guys played like when I was in my 30s, you know, I'll still feel for it. It's it's good times. It's good, it's good TV. Well, actually, that's one thing I'll say. Maybe it's not good TV because you end up with a 90-minute ceremony that they can't put any commercials in. So I can't see like, ABC or ESPN saying, yes, let's show this Jersey retirement game and have like a 60 minute block where we can't show commercials because Yager is talking the whole time and there's no way to cut away for like two minutes. Well, yeah. And I definitely could see that. So that's one benefit of having the other platforms and the streaming services and all of that, where you can actually pull that kind of stuff. But, you know, look, speaking from, you know, watching the Yager ceremony first. What I like to see is it's really cool that not only do they show the ceremony and everything, but then you have access to all of the other stuff. So you can see like what was going on beforehand, you know, what's what's going on behind the, behind the scenes, you know, the stuff that they did the day before and like things leading up to it. And then what happened afterward, you know, Yager stuck around. He didn't leave until after Tuesday. So he went to the next game as well, and he was there. In fact, the next day at practice, he showed up, strapped on the gear, and he was out skating with the guys. And then he came out after the ceremony too and did pregame warm-ups, skated around, hit the puck around. Everybody was wearing the 68 jersey, which I thought was weird because I'm like, they just raised it in the rafters. It's retired. Nobody should have that on. But I, I get it. That's what they were doing. But I mean, he was out there. You know, he took a lap and all of that, and waved to the crowd. He was also the he was also in the in the booth at one point, right? Like yeah. So in the in the yeah. next game, he actually was up in the booth. You know, talking to the the TV play by play, and you know, giving kind of his his take and his synopsis and commentary about the power play and the game flow and everything else. And it's interesting to hear his perspective on it because he still plays. I mean, he owns a team. He semi coaches the team. He 
plays for the team, not regularly, but you know he still plays, and that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame. Because <laughs> otherwise, this guy would be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, look at the scoring list. Gretzky's at the top, and guess who's behind him? This guy. So it's like, if you ever decide to retire, not only will you have your jersey in the rafters, but you will also be in the Hall of Fame. Like, there's zero reason to think you wouldn't be. Oh, and uh, by the way, Lundquist did have his number retired in 2022. It was in January of 2022. So, so I do remember your that. Your memory was good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I because I, I, I think I remember like we had like, if I'm, if I'm remembering the correct, the right day, I believe what happened was, at least in Chicago, we had like a, a ton of snow that day or that afternoon or whatever. And I remember finding the, finding the game, pausing it, going outside for an hour, shoveling, then coming back in and thawing and then like unpausing and then like watching the thing. But like, I was just like, oh, I am not missing this to shovel snow. But through the magic of modern technology, I can pause the TV and like, go shovel and then come back. And that's exactly what I did, you know? So yeah, I did that. That's why I remember it because I just remember that like, you know, you got to do what you got to do, but it's just like, well, I don't want to miss this game though. So I wanted to make sure that I saw that because I always like, like those things. Yeah. They're, they're appointment TV for me. When I hear it's going to happen, I like, sometimes I'll put a reminder on my phone or circle it on my calendar so that I don't miss it. I thought it was great because way more sentimental value of something like this rather than, you know, I don't know that I'd be watching the Mika Kippersoft jersey retirement that the Flames are going to be doing. Not that he's a bad goaltender because he's a really good one, but I have no interest in that because, well, you know, he didn't play for the Penguins and I didn't grow up watching this guy torch the league for years and years and years. And, you know, the Penguins don't take jersey retirements lightly. There's only three right now. Um, obviously there's potential for more later on, but you only have three jerseys up there in the rafters. Granted, they've only been around since 67, but you know, still three jerseys with all the hall of famers that have played for that, that team. So it's not something that they just hand out like candy, but not that the Blackhawks do or anything. I'm just saying. Well, yeah. I mean, they did all their Jersey retirements from 1980 forward. Yeah. Makita in 80, Hall, I think, in 83, Tony Esposito and Glenn Hall in 1988, and then, and then you know, some others since then. I'm not going to go through the whole list. I'll probably forget one anyway. But, yeah, like, it took – it, it kind of did it slow at, at first. Here's the other good thing about it, too. This was the first time on camera that Lemieux has been back in that building on camera since he sold the team to Family Sports. And there's been a lot of rumor and conjecture about a lot of things because, you know, the the general consensus is they kind of did him a little dirty. So he's been making himself scarce. And he was never not in that building, like the entire time he owned the team. So not seeing him around now, I, I've heard that he was around, but they never put cameras on him upon directive of the higher ups. I don't know whether that's true or not, but since he sold the team, I... No one's no one's really seen him on camera until that. And I did find it interesting. I kept looking every time they panned the camera over to the different guys. Like you were talking about, they had tons of the guys from the 90, 91, 92 teams. Like Craig Patrick and Mario Lemieux 
both of them looked like they were at any given moment were going to just bust out crying. Both of them had that look on their face. And I think Craig Patrick actually did when he got up and gave his little speech ahead of time. I think the waterworks started. You could kind of see. So. Just to end the footnotes that we mentioned, the, the Gretzky story that I wrote, um, and I mentioned Gretzky's last game for the Rangers, and the Rangers lost that game in overtime. To who? To the Penguins, and Yager scored the winning goal in overtime. And so, yes, you know, it was like a passing of the torch, you know, and I, I agree. I think he's a shoe in Hall of Famer whenever that is. That could be, I don't know, five years from now, 10 years from now. What what, what I, I watched part of the ceremony, and what I kept thinking was like, this guy could probably still play 25 games for the Penguins now. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the case. Or it would have been fun if he can play in this game and then retire or whatever, or they just retire his jersey, but that's not possible. But um, he's also, you know, he also, every time he's interviewed, he always claims his English isn't any good. And then he's actually kind of funny. So I don't know. He's actually like a funny guy, Yager. Oh, he was cracking jokes the whole time he was up exactly. there. Exactly. But he always says, like, his English isn't any good. And then he's, like, making jokes. I'm like, this guy's just very modest about that, about, his, about the language barrier potentially. But no, he's like very personable and he has been doing more and more signings and shows now. So I think at some point he's going to think of cashing in and retiring and who knows. But it was good to see, you know, him being celebrated and also Chelios because these are guys we grew up watching and, and you know, are, are iconic uh, for us. So it was it was good. If someone was totally neutral, I thought they were both good and they're both, you know, amazing athletes. So it's it was fun. So I want to bring up that February 27th this year is the 30th anniversary of the Forsberg. So if you know, you know, if you don't know, I'll tell you. It was the 1994 Winter Olympics in Lillehammer, Norway. It was the gold medal game between Canada and Sweden. It went to a shootout. Peter Forsberg scored the game-winning shootout goal. The next year, he would join the Quebec Nordiques, who became the Avalanche. He'd win Stanley Cups, go on to a Hall of Fame career, et cetera, et cetera. But that goal, I mean, even though we knew Forsberg, you know, those of us who collected hockey cards, we knew Forsberg since he had, like, a bunch of hockey cards in, like, 91-92. He was in, like, those draft pick sets. He was in 91-92 upper deck. You know, so we, we knew the name. But a lot of times those guys would get drafted and they would still play a few more years in their home country before they'd come to North America and play in the NHL. And Forsberg was one of them. So this particular goal that he scored, for those of you who haven't seen it, I'll try to describe it, but I'm going to link to it in the comments. He basically, he's one, you know, it's a shootout. Goaltenders Corey Hirsch of the of, of team Canada and he comes in and he, he fakes like he's going to go and bring the puck over to his forehand. So he pulls the goalie one way, but he does it. He moves the one way, but as he's moving one way, his stick comes across his body. And then he basically like one hands, the puck on his backhand, almost like he guided the puck into the net or like tapped it in. He didn't like shoot it in. It wasn't like a backhand shot. It was more like a push. So at this point, he's going he's going around the post, but he's like got his stick extended, you know, across the goaltender and puts it in the net. And that was the game winning goal in the shootout. And 
I mean, I've always known it as the Forsberg. But then I found this YouTube video, and there were actual players who did the Forsberg before Forsberg did. In fact, there was an Alexei Zamnoff goal that he did for the Winnipeg Jets like the year before. I think it's one of the most iconic goals in hockey, even got its own stamp in Sweden because it was such an important moment for the country and for Olympic history and for hockey history. That's kind of like the Michigan goal. Technically, it should be called the Mike Legg goal, but they just call it the Michigan goal and everybody just takes it. It's like Kleenex. It's all tissue paper, but how do we call it Kleenex? Now, it's a because it's a crazy goal. It essentially you're coming in one-on-one on the goaltender. You're essentially turning the goaltender inside out because they can't, they can't play the deke move because they know you can come, you know, you're coming forehand backhand and you're twisting. So what do they play? So, I mean, if you have enough space to be able to toss that over and just simply pop it in like that, you know, who's good at scoring that. And I've seen him do it probably three times. Tarasenko. Tarasenko's done that a number of times. And I think I've seen John Tavares do it maybe once. Yeah. And most of the time it's in the shootout because they have time and room to do that. Right. You know, I will say this, though, just a quick story, quick trip down memory lane. I always talk about 93-94 being one of my favorite seasons of collecting. So I remember that February, it's like the end of the month, and I was working. I had two jobs at the time. I was working in a comic book store, and then I was working at a T-shirt store. I had two part-time jobs. I just started college. And I decided that I was going to quit the comic book store, but I wasn't mature enough to know that you're actually supposed to give two weeks notice. So in my mind, that was going to be my last day of work. I was going to call up my boss when I got in. It was a Sunday morning. It was a Sunday morning. So I was going to come into work. I was going to call my boss and say, hey, today's my last day. I'll bring in my keys later on in the week or whatever, but whatever, because he never came in on a Sunday. But then this game went on for so long and then it went to like the shootout. I can't remember if it was overtime and then the shootout or shootout or whatever. It might have been overtime and a shootout. I'm, I'm not sure. But because this is 30 years ago and I forgot to look that little bit of information up. All I know is that I ended up being an hour late to work. But it didn't matter because I was the one opening the comic book store that day. And so it opened at 12 instead of 11 or 11 instead of 10 or whatever time it was supposed to open on a Sunday. And I remember just being so enthralled with this game. And I'm like, oh my God, this is great. It's just two to two. It's tied. And then the shootout. And then just like that goal and just being like, oh my God, it was like probably the greatest goal or one of the greatest goals I've seen, at least like live, like watching it as it happened. So, I mean, I was late to work because I wanted to see that game and I wanted to see how it ended because I'm a big nerd. And yes, I'll even watch Sweden and Canada on a Sunday morning. And I mean, I even watched the 1998 gold medal game between Russia and the Czech Republic at like four in the morning. My roommates in college thought I was nuts that I wanted to stay up till 4 a.m. watching an Olympic hockey game. But I get into it. So I can kind of understand how those soccer fans get up at 5 a.m. so they could watch like Real Madrid and Manchester United. I don't even know if those teams play against each other. Clemente, do they play against each other? They would. They would. But, you know what I mean? They get up They get up at 5 a.m. to see like a game like that. I, I, I could kind of get it because I, I could do that for Olympic hockey. So I'll do I'll do one better and, and, and say, yeah, I, I was watching that game myself on a Sunday morning. And we have to remind everyone that the, the NHL didn't bring the shootout in to settle ties until 05. But in Olympic hockey, like soccer, after overtime, they go to a shootout. And so 
it's still fairly rare for NHL fans to see that. And so as a soccer fan, that was very common. I remember watching that game. Actually, I was watching it with my family. And yeah, and it was and it was like over breakfast, but I remember the same thing. It was like the game went on forever. And it became like this, like sort of like who, who's gonna who's gonna survive in the end? And it was it was super exciting. And then for that goal to be, you know, for it to happen in the shootout, then is is that extra added bonus. I also remember being up in the middle of the night in Nagano to watch, you know, the gold medal game there. And and so a lot of us have sort of the same memories of that. Like you know, we're up for the big appointments. We're up for like the big sporting events. You know, we're there for like the big hockey moments, whether it means getting up in the middle of the night or staying up late. I mean, it happens in the playoffs, right? If the game goes to triple overtime, you're up all night or, you know, or getting up like on a might have been like 8 a.m. Eastern time to watch Canada, Sweden or whatever. And I thought the Sweden jerseys were also really cool. That was another thing, too, you know, and as much as I love Canadian players on our NHL teams, it's also always fun to root against Canada at the at the Olympics because they're always better than the U.S. And I have lots of Canadian friends who think Canada is you know the greatest hockey country ever, and it is. But there's also Finland and Sweden and Russia and you know everything else. And so, yeah. So no, I have a lot of memories of that game, and it was a lot of fun. And I can't believe it's been 30 years though. So it's that's that's the crazy part. Tim's like I was sleeping that morning. <laughs> I might have been. I don't know. Yeah. It's like Olympic hockey. I watch Olympic hockey all the time. I know you do. Did you watch that game? I don't know. I don't remember. It's okay. That was 99, right? 94. That was the Forsberg. Oh, the Forsberg was 94. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to say I probably didn't, but I may have. I don't know. I can't remember that far back. That was before I graduated high school. So if that was Winter Olympics 94, that would have been, what, January, February? February. February, yeah. February of 94. So, yeah. That was was, was the tail end of my junior year of high school. That was the bonus Olympics because. Yeah. 92, they they split them. So two years later, they had the 94. So the the Summer and Winter Olympics wouldn't come in the same year. And so that was the bonus Olympics. We ended up with, you know, two two in two years. So where was that, that one? Was, was it Lillehammer? Yeah, that was Lillehammer. Yeah, okay. yeah. So Lillehammer, 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 Lillehammer. The the yeah. bonus Olympics. Yeah, you're right. Because I even remember like um, reading. It could have been on like maybe um, like a Cami Granado hockey card or something, and it said like on the back of the card like she's expected to be the captain of Team USA when women's hockey takes place for the first time in the 1996 winter Olympics, which obviously that didn't happen. It was the night there was the 94 Olympics instead right. of 96. Then, yeah. 98. Right. And they got moved. Everything got moved. Right. right. You'll still find like some things that will refer to like the upcoming 96 winter Olympics that didn't happen. Cause, and I like that, that they, that they alternated it. I always felt there's like too much Olympics in one year. Like, we're doing this again, you know, uh, and I guess for the countries too, it kind of makes sense. If you're going to send like a bunch of athletes to like one country to compete in like January, and then you're going to do it again in July. And it's just, I think it's a little nicer to just kind of like break it up over, you know, every other years, you know? Yeah. And the winter Olympics are always great because of hockey, but also because, you know, you're stuck inside in February and it's cold and you have nothing to do. I remember, I remember like 
major snowstorms hitting New York and like watching the Olympics for like eight, nine hours in one day. It's like, I have nothing to do and I'm stuck at home and I'm in high school. What, what am I going to do? You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, you know, so, but it's funny you mentioned this, this, this one game because I hadn't, hadn't given this game any thought since I think the day the game happened, <laughs> like, like, you know, I haven't read anything about this game in 30 years. I haven't thought about it in 30 years. And so you just bringing it up here was kind of funny. But like all these memories are starting to trickle back, but it's just very, you know, it's it's funny. And you mentioned the stamp, which I do remember uh, seeing pictures of that. I think it came out a year later. And the cool thing about other countries is that they can make stamps of like almost anything. You know, American stamps have a, a, a high bar, which is you have to be dead to be on a, on a U.S. stamp. Okay. Even the Miracle on Ice doesn't have a stamp, as far as I can I know, because those guys are alive, right? So, you know, so in that sense. So Michael Ruzioni might get a stamp, you know, when he's dead. So, and that'll be who knows when. Exactly. But it'll be, but it'll be like decades and decades and decades after 1980, as opposed to Sweden's like, hey, this was a great thing for our country. We're gonna put a stamp next year. We're gonna make one, you know. So Yeah. Anyway, yeah, good times. So uh, let's talk real quick about the uh, 23-24 Star Rookie box set. I just want to mention that the checklist has been posted. Um, I will link to that. So there's going to be 25 cards. As you can probably guess, Connor Bedard, yes, he is in the set. He is card number one. Other players in the set, besides Bedard, we got Adam Fantilli, Logan Cooley. We got Matthew Knees. We got Brock Faber, Leo Carlson, Ridley Gregg. Empty net goal legend. Uh, we got Owen Beck, Kevin Korczynski, Will Cooley, a couple others, Zach Benson. So, of course, there's going to be parallel versions. There's going to be uh, gold parallels that are numbered out of 349. There's going to be red parallels that are numbered out of 99. There's going to be green parallels that are numbered out of 5. And then there's going to be black parallels that are numbered out of 1. There are going to be autographed parallels. You get an autograph, one in every 20 boxes. So, by the way, um, a box set has the 25-card set and then one parallel card. Probably not an autograph. One out of 20 has an autograph. Of course, three of the players are short-printed autographs. Connor Bedard, Logan Cooley, and Leo Carlson are the short-printed autographs. And then there are also autographed black parallels which are serial numbered one out of one so we got a third excuse me a 25 card set coming out um i don't think there's going to be any shortage of these sets unless like you know because the the breakers aren't going to break it you're just going to get people who are going to open them and grade the bedard and whatever but i mean just to give like a little bit of context here uh, Clemente, when we were at the uh, expo, I purchased a sealed 0506 star rookie set. I think I think it was called Rookie Class actually back then. It, but it's the same idea. It was the rookie box set. It was 50 cards. I want to say I spent 50 bucks on it. Of course, I remember buying that set back in like 0506 or 06, so maybe a year later. I think it was like a $20 set. And I think maybe about five years after it came out, you could get them at DA Card World for like 10 bucks because people didn't really look at them as rookie cards. They'd be like, yeah, there's a Crosby rookie in there and there's an Ovechkin rookie in there, but they're not really rookie cards because they didn't come in packs. Now I think people are kind of starting to like embrace the fact that, 
hey, this is a card of Sidney Crosby from 0506 that pictures him as a rookie, and it came out during his rookie year. So I think people are starting to warm up to these sorts of sets a little bit. And I think with Bedard, they're just buying anything that he's printed on because we see what's happening with game-dated moments. We see what's happening with Tops Now stickers. It's 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 a little out of control. Heck, we see what's happening with OPG, and we'll talk about that next. But uh, yeah, star rookie box set should be interesting to see if these fly off the shelves or if people are kind of like, nah, I want the young gun. I want something else. I don't want this common card that you can get super easy. Look, it's funny. I was never a big fan of this set, even though it's super affordable, but the cards don't really hold value, maybe for the reasons you mentioned. Only in recent years has the Crosby and Ovechkin one. I've seen crazy prices and graded versions of it because, you know, those are two star guys and Ovechkin's going for the scoring record, whatever it is, is that, you know, and, and this idea that you can sell this card for $100 or more at a show, whatever, in a graded version. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, look, if you're looking for, in this case, a Bedard rookie or some other rookie that you like in that set, you should go for it. It's easy enough. And they they create these chase ones that, that are interesting and fun. Look, I think people will gobble them up, but I think the window between this set being released and when the Young Guns comes out is so small, if there even is one, that I don't think it'll be enough time to hype it. I think people are going right for the Young Guns, you know, and I think you've seen that with some of the Opeachy ones too. The prices are starting to level off because the Young Guns card is like imminent. It's coming out soon. And so I think, you know, but people like us are going to be like, hey, look, it's still... Is a rookie card. It is. It's from his rookie year, you know. And we have to get away from all these. We have to start moving away from all these silly rules that, like Beckett Magazine invented thirty years ago, that we all are like stuck on. Because, like, I went to the London Card Show recently, and in Europe, they don't care about any of this stuff because they don't. Beckett didn't make all these rules in their head, you know, like game dated moments and tops now, and those are all legit cards to them, like. It's got a rookie logo. It's coming out. It doesn't. They don't care. And so, yeah, I'm not saying we need to do all that because the market is what forces, you know, market forces and what people like and don't like dictates the value. But maybe we need to get away from all that. I'm starting to think like those rules were fine back then when it was a wild west, but maybe now we need to sort of say, okay, this is this is a rookie year card. That's it. Like, and whether it's worth twenty dollars or a thousand dollars, I don't know. But you're telling me a Bedard version of this card autographed is going to be worth a lot of money, or one of one is going to be worth a lot of money. And so, or the number 99 red parallel, or the number right. out of five green parallel. Yeah. So maybe yeah, you'll but... get people buying cases of this boxed set, opening it, right. pulling like the parallel versions, like the greens numbered out of five, or the reds numbered out of 99, or the golds numbered out of 349. There's also a blue version that's a parallel, but it's not numbered. And I think every other set has one of those blue parallels. So, you know, you got a 50-50 chance of getting a blue parallel or something else. I might be wrong on that. I'll have to double check, but... It, it's the one that's easy to get and it's not numbered. But you might get that where people just are like busting open cases of this star rookie product just to get those parallels and then just dumping the sets on eBay for like 10 bucks each or whatever. Just like cards one through 25 with like Bedard. 
I mean, that's what I would do if I was like someone who wanted to have these parallels. I don't really care enough to, to do that. I just want the set just to have the 25 cards of rookie players. And then I have them and it's something cool. Getting, getting a case of, of this is like the poor man's version of that Gretzky box we were talking about earlier. Like, it's like, Oh, I'll get a box of this. And you're right. Like look for, you know, but we also complain. We have complained in the past. I know privately about even in, in hot among hockey, hockey collectors, numbered cards in a rookie year don't sell as well or matter as much as the young guns. That's always like the young gun. Right. And so even this card a Bedart of out of 99, what would that be worth compared to just a base Young Guns? I, I think it would still be worth less. And so, it, look, we'll find out soon enough. We'll find out soon enough. It's absolutely going to be worth less. Not worthless, but worth less. Worth less, right. Yes. Which is, like, ridiculous when, like, like I use this example because I don't know if I still have this card or not, but I remember, like, one card that I've had, I would have for sale at the shows is, I had like a Kirill Kaprizov rookie card. It might have been like a like a premier or exquisite or something. I don't know. I can't remember. But it was like numbered out of two ninety nine, and people would be like, "Got any Kaprizov rookies?" I'd be like, "Yeah, I got this Kaprizov rookie that's numbered out of two ninety nine." And they'd be like, "They're thinking, what are you, an idiot? That's not a young gun. Well, you didn't ask for a young gun. You said if I had any Kaprizov rookies, I have this this exquisite rookie that's numbered out of two ninety nine." you know oh i also have this rookie class card you know and then they would like punch me no i'm kidding <laughs> I, I have his rookie class i have his um I, wait 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 i have his uh national hockey card day rookie moments card <laughs> come back <laughs> right i mean it's just ridiculous like when people say rookie cards they really just mean like a young gun and then they'll be like well, well i'll give you 50 for it <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, it should be worth anything that's numbered out of 99 of a popular player in his rookie season should be worth more. The thing is, is that if you drew a pie chart, I'd say 75% of that pie is just going after cards that they think they could resell. And they're going to go after what they think they could resell easily. Wait, I want to know about this card show in England that you went to. Were you like there? Were you like, hey, hey guys looking for some tops now soccer card i mean football cards i got no. your tops now right here i got i got all the chicago fire cards you need <laughs> no i mean i was i was in the uk for work related and i was there the same weekend of the show and so i was like let me go and it was like any regional show in america and yes it was a lot of soccer but there was a lot of other stuff too and the interesting thing is you really get an idea of like the inroads that the NBA and the NFL have made in Europe. Like there were plenty of people selling NBA cards and merch memorabilia and same for, you know, football that that you'd probably see at, at any decent sized show. I mean, that you would see at the expo, for example. So um, so in that sense, yeah, you know, um, this American style shows are, are, are becoming a thing all over all over europe all over the world maybe and so yeah it was interesting i did pick up you know, i did find hockey there so not not a ton but like i did get an opichi box there okay 
and it wasn't that much cheaper. It was like the even if you translated from pounds to dollars, it was it was the same price. You know, it was still overpriced. It was I think I paid basically ninety US for it, um, which I think is more than I've ever paid for it before. Um, and so there's a lot of you know sealed wax, and and Tops had a booth there, corporate booth. So you know the world's gotten much smaller than it used to be, and I think the the Europeans have figured out. Oh, you know. During the pandemic, they 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 would see like videos on YouTube of American shows like the National, and, and they were like, "Why don't we do that here?" You know, and and there was some Americans there, you know, like either selling or buying or whatever. And so, yeah, no, it was it was fun, it was interesting, um, and I wrote about it uh, for SCD. But you know, it's 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 the kind of thing, you know. And I remember Beckett did a piece years ago where they they went, I think, to the Czech Republic and went to a hockey show there. And I remember thinking at the time, like, I, I got to go to a hockey show in the Czech Republic, you know, because they're dying for like NHL stuff. Like they don't see that stuff. They see all the European stickers and all the all the European sets, but they don't get a lot of the upper deck stuff. Um, so like, like, yeah, like you just made a joke about Chicago fire cars. I mean, those guys are looking for European soccer, right? But but we if we went to Eastern Europe, they would want to buy, you know, our stuff because they don't see much of it. And, and then they probably got to deal with the same stuff we were complaining about, which is eBay and prices and, you know, shipping and all that. So anyway, um, but the vibe of the show was good because people were talking about, oh, yeah, we, we buy on eBay, but it's nice to see people in the same room, which is why we love shows, because everyone gets in the same room and can talk. And so which is better than eBay or better than just talking on the Internet. Can I ask my one question I have? And I think you know what my question's going to be. What is it? <laughs> How many broom cases did you count? Okay, so there were broom cases. They they actually were selling broom cases, and there were there were kids with them. I will I will say, I will also admit mm -hmm. that half the so show. So it's a pandemic. Oh yeah, yeah. Half the show was like Pokemon. So I mean, people were dressed up like Pokemon figures. So like it was like oh. Comic Con meets like uh, the national because to them they can't distinguish between sports cards and like the other stuff it's what fanatics wants a card show to be it's called the london card show and card is like generic and the logo i think is like a soccer ball a basketball and like the pokeball, pokeball. Right? That, oh that's yeah. that's kind of cool actually i will say this though real quick i just got to clarify something so actually in in the united kingdom they they, they call bro cases chum cases Right. I didn't I didn't even know that. No, I'm I kidding. Oh, some cases. It you sounds, know, it, it sounds like I know. I know. I know. It's the joke. chum case full of cards. <laughs> no, but so they had the that card. Was a horrible accent. But it, <laughs> I'll work what, on it. What was funny is some of the older people at the show who sold older stuff, let's say the kind of oddball stuff that I like to see that like you like to see at the expo. And they were complaining about like these new people and their bro cases and their Pokemon cards and all that. And so it, it, I was like, look, I'm in another country and people are making the same complaint. So, you know, and you can tell a lot of the show was new stuff that people just rip. It's all it's all new. It's all modern, basically. I, I was curious to see, is there like oddball soccer stuff or stuff from like the 70s or 80s? And there was very little of that. And people told me, well, if you want to get that, you got to go to like 
a shop or you got to go to like some antique show or whatever. And it was like, but you're not going to see that here because this is all new money. It's all new people, you know, and, and it was, and but it was a lot of kids, a lot of families and that that's all good, but it was a lot of gaming. It was all of the, the Disney cards and Pokemon and all that. But that's interesting. Cause I always, cause I wonder that is, you know, we, we talk about how 65% plus of a show anymore now is like, everything's graded. It's all encased in plastic. And it makes me right. wonder, is it like that over there? Or you go to a show here and the, the first 700 tables of the show are vintage under, under plastic. And it's like, I, I have no interest in that. So where am I going? Is it like that there too? Or So a lot of stuff is graded like PSA, but I think it's because they bought and sell they they buy and sell cards and maybe they bought them off ebay that were already graded you know because like psa wasn't there but people i think your people in europe have a harder time getting cards graded but like jsa was there authenticating autographs right and so you know so that's a thing but um it just makes me wonder if the rest of the world is like it's psa or nothing you know I, I maybe because it was thing the stuff that was graded was psa so that's true. So maybe it is PSA or, or nothing in their mind. But like a lot of the stuff that was graded was like, you know, it was new stuff. It was like 10 years old, five years old. It was not, you know, and I think this is all pandemic stuff. You know, it's all, it's all, but, but they don't distinguish between the gaming stuff and the sports. I mean, there's two different, I think, type of collectors, but they're, they're commingled. They're, they're in the same show with, more ease. I mean, we see it at shows here where we, whenever we see tables like Pokemon and stuff like that, we're like, what are they doing here? You know, but, but there, I think is because the word card is, is, is broader. And I think if you segmented them out and you had a show just for, for the gaming people or just for the sports people, you would have very little, the show would be half the size. It would be smaller. And so I think they probably have this idea of like a bigger tent kind of place where people come and go or whatever, but maybe this is what fanatics will do to shows in America. We don't know, but you know, sounds like it probably. Yeah, probably. Well, shall we talk about 2324 OPG then? Let's do it. All right. So 2324 OPG came out in early February. It is a 600 card set cards. One through 500 are the base set. Cards 501 through 600 are the short prints, with the first 40 being all-stars and the last 60 being marquee rookies. Now, hobby boxes debuted at around 100 bucks. I checked today. They're selling for upwards of $150 now. A hobby box has 18 packs, 10 cards per pack, so that's 180 cards. And every pack has a short printed card, so you get 18 short prints per box. Blaster boxes, on the other hand, those cost $25. You get nine packs. Each pack has eight cards. So you get 72 cards per blaster box. But then you only get four or five short prints because they're seated one in every other pack. Of course, with the hobby boxes, you have the higher-end inserts like your black border parallels and your uh, retro parallel black borders and like other, you know, like your redemption cards and stuff like that. So if you're in it purely just to get base cards and short prints, might be okay with the blaster boxes. I mean, if that's your jam, I actually finally ordered some blaster boxes. I did get a hobby box, but um, 
you know, I also like to get blasters because, you know, of course I want to try to get a Connor Bedard rookie card, but regardless, I like OPG cards. I might try to build the set. And guess what? There's so much OPG being broken this year. There's going to be no shortage of base cards on the secondary market. I mean, I might just buy a base set and then just say, all right, I had fun opening those blaster boxes. It's a gamble. You try, it's like a lottery ticket. You scratch it off and you hope to get something, but sometimes you don't get what you want. But at least with boxes of cards, I still get cards. You know what I mean? I buy a blaster box, guarantee there's going to be some cards I need in there for my personal collection, whether it's a Patrick Kane or a Jonathan Taves or a Ryan O'Reilly or a Black Hawk player or whatever, you know? I'll just say this real quick and then I'll throw it over to you guys. I like the design of this year's Opeachy set. I've liked the Opeachy sets for probably since 12, 13 was the first year that I really started to like the look of Opeachy hockey cards. I think before then I was kind of like, eh, the Opeachy logo's too big. There were certain things they didn't do that I felt were right. Now I really feel like this is like a vintage card in a modern era. You know, it's low tech. These are great to get autographs because they got like a matte coating on them. They're not super high glossing. They're printed on just nice enough cardstock. That's still low tech. There's no gloss. It's black and white on the back. There's only five lines of stat. Of uh, statistics, you know, my thoughts on that. I want to have all 20 years or however many years, but I get it. But uh, yeah, I like it. And then, of course, there were a plethora of parallels, you know, and you had the OPG premiere inserts, and then you had like the rainbow foil parallels and the purple parallels and uh, the retro cards even have a nice design. And of course there's like the playing cards. So yeah, overall, I like it. My only complaint is that the prices are ridiculous because of one card of one rookie who's having a really good season. Guys, Clemente, <laughs> you got a box, and Tim, you always have an opinion whether you have the cards or don't have the cards. You still got things to say, so. Yeah, no, I got a box. Like I said, I bought a box, and I paid $90 for it, and which I think is more than I normally would have paid. And I, I agree with you. I love the feel, the cards, and it's it's retro enough to, you know, I like it. I like the, I like them a lot. So I've complained in the past that design looks very similar every year, but this year for some reason it doesn't bother me. And I, I did pull I, I did pull one of the Bedard cards, right, that I showed you guys. And I was very happy with it. You know, I was like, I was because I wasn't expecting anything, you know, uh special out of it. And I think this card alone, the one I pulled, which is uh I guess it's the base set. I guess I could have sold this card and made my money back on the box, which is nuts, I think. But I'm not going to do that because I'm not in it to do that. But um, what you're a pumper, I heard. Yes, I, I well, but my 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 game is I make lists for magazines, and then and then <laughs> that's my jam. No, but uh, look, but there doesn't need to be pumped. This guy is pumped already. Like you know, like every podcast I listen to, I've told you guys this. And they asked, like, what do you think of the future of cards? They're all like, I think hockey is the next big thing. And I, I cringe every time I hear that. Because they've been say saying that since 1990. Sorry. Well, they, no, but, no but they're saying it because of Bedard. Some people will admit that that's the reason some of them don't mention that as a follow-up. But we know 
it's because of Bedard. You know what and... this is like? This is like when I was a kid and I thought that Star Wars invented sci-fi and all the people 10 or 20 years older than me, even if they liked Star Wars, they'd roll their eyes and scoff and they'd be like, you ever hear of 2001, A Space Odyssey, or you ever hear of Planet of the Apes, or you ever hear of a little thing called Star Trek, right? Like, right, right. like sci-fi was like a thing before Star Wars, but Star Wars is what put it on my map science fiction right like yeah, that yeah. was like my ground zero so all these people are like oh my god hockey's a sport apparently it's been around since uh 2020 and they got this guy named connor bedard and he's really good like right you know what i mean and you're just like have you yeah. even watched a game do you even yeah. know who Sidney crosby is right you know what i mean like right, right. sorry sorry no and so yeah just to just to close the thought i think that's the the reason but it's where we're at. We can't do anything about it. We talk about it all the time. Now, I think these cards that are going for $80, $100, I think they're going to level off or drop, or this box may drop in value once the Young Guns comes out. Maybe that, or like you mentioned, on the secondary market, everyone's ripping this thing. All the breakers are ripping it. And then they don't, these are all base cards they don't want. You know, they don't care about them. And so, yeah, there's there's opportunities for us there. And I think that's a good thing. And whether you pull the Bedard or not, whatever, you know, it's if you have to spend 40 bucks for it. I mean, look, if you're going to spend $85 on the Marquee Rookie, I would say get yourself a McDavid one then, <laughs> you know, for probably cheaper than you would pay for Bedard. So whose value will go up or down, who knows, depending on what. I mean, he's back now and he's, you know, so the gravy train rolls on. I mean, if you want the card, you want the card. I paid 80 bucks for an Alexei Lafreniere Young Guns card. Right. Because that was a price that I could afford. Now it's what, like a $20 card. And he's been playing good this year. Yeah. He's been really, he's, he's been, he's been good this year. The problem with him is he's good now in a year where, where, uh, where Bedard is like overshadowed. It doesn't matter now. Right. And Lafreniere has been in the league too long now, three, four years. People have moved on. They've moved on. Exactly. Well, they want that quick flip. And so to them, a quick flip is I buy a box of cards for a hundred bucks. I pull a Bedard card or I pull like the red bordered parallel and sell it for 300. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's what they want. Like as, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, yeah, that marquee rookie selling like 80 to hundred bucks. Yeah. It'll probably go down when the young gun comes out. That's what I think because people move on to the next shiny thing. As far as like the investors go, they're going to invest in what they think they can make the most money in, right? And then people like me who just be like, well, I do want that card because it's, I have 599 out of 600 cards. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that one card for 80 bucks and that's fine or 50 bucks or whatever. And you know what? Maybe I didn't get it from a pack, but so what? That's part of the game, right? Or, or it just becomes something that's so out of my range. I just decide to live without it, right? Like, I always bring up an Austin Matthews rookie card because I think that's the only card I need from 16, 17 upper deck. And I think I'll have the full set and I just don't have that. And I'm probably never going to have that. And that's okay. But you know, it's just, it's just how it is. Yeah. It's funny. Like instead of talking about like the pros and cons of the set, we just kind of all agree. It's a pretty cool set, but it's been so overshadowed by the fact that people are breaking the set just to get the Connor Bedard rookie card. Oh, by the way, I did not get a Connor Bedard rookie card, but I guess I got one ninth of a rookie card because I got a puzzle piece. It says top rookie and it's a puzzle bounty and you have to collect all nine of them. There's a scratch off code. 
Nine. I have to get nine of these. This is like, this is just like, that's a chore, man. Do you guys know if those are individually selling on eBay for anything? Or Yeah. 20 bucks, 30 bucks each. Oh. But remember, you got to buy like nine of them. Two weeks ago, they were 160 bucks a pop. Oh, really? Hmm. So if they're any less than that, though, if you're saying they're only 20 bucks, that'd be a shocker to me. Well, all right. My Intel's old then. Goes to show that I'm not really pricing these out because I'm not like shopping for them. I don't know. I, now I go, I had... hmm, do I get the other eight or do I sell this one for 160 bucks? Right. I mean, then it becomes like, a, what you going to do? Yeah. When I first made that list of all the ones that were out there after an hour of this being released, um, they were like 50 bucks a piece. And within a week, they were up to about $160. I don't know what they're at now because I haven't looked because I've given up caring. So, yeah, I'll weigh in. I don't have a lot to say, really, because I love Opeachy. It's a set I build every year. I'm not building it this year. I'm just not doing it. So if two years from now these boxes are down to $49, I'll, ju I'll jump in. But they've taken, a, they've taken an ultra-affordable set and a set that's designed for everybody that collects and turned it into a, an investment nightmare um, for all the people that are just simply trying to capitalize on Bedard fever. And that's fine. Like you said, Clemente, that's, that's where we are. There's nothing we can do about it. It is what it is. The, the fervor pitch of, of the demand is, is forcing the price up and there's, there's really nothing we can do about it. So you know, if I do decide to do something with it, it may end up being, and I hate to say it, but what you said, Sal, spending the hundred bucks to buy a whole base set or whatever it's going to cost and just be done with it in one fail swoop and put it away. And that's the end of it. Cause see, here's the thing. You can go back and look at all this stuff and you can see what these rookie cards sell for marquee rookies never go for a ton. And even if we put, as the pinnacle, the the Connor McDavid marquee rookie. Okay, first things first. Connor McDavid was not in the Opeachy set. He was in update. So the Opeachy set, as it stands, with all the marquee rookies and everything else in fifteen sixteen, did not have the McDavid in it. So if you built that, you didn't have to spend hundreds of dollars on this one single card just to complete a base plus, you know, short print. You didn't because it wasn't there. Now, if you build the update, sure, it was in update. You know, he had the retro in there. He had the, you know, the, the he eventually came out in platinum and all that. Same, same general design and all that kind of stuff. And that's fine. But he wasn't in the marquee rookie. Was there a Crosby marquee rookie? No, because Opeachy wasn't made that year. It didn't come out till 06, 07. So Matthews, you look at the other big card, the, the Matthews one. Generally speaking, you can get a marquee rookie Matthews ungraded for under 20 bucks. Sometimes you see it push higher, but it's generally under 20 bucks. Lafreniere, okay, nobody really cared about him after the first seven months of him coming out. But at the time, yeah, it was it was something people were going after. It never hit the Bedard peak from an Opeachy side. It may have a little bit on the the, the young gun side because those were going 
four hundred bucks right out of the right out the door. And obviously those have plateaued. I mean, I think I saw I think I saw a bunch of um canvas, the canvas young gun for Lafreniere selling for twenty bucks or less. I'm like, wow, how the mighty have fallen. But summer of twenty one when I did the national for the first time, I had a lot of Lafreniere cards. My joke was that I bought a lot of hockey that season and I got every Lafreniere card except his young gun. So I had like pretty much everything except for the young gun and the short printed photo variant young gun, or I don't think I had a canvas young gun either, but like anything non young gun I had. And I remember that the OPG Marky rookie was like a solid $10 card. And then if it was like a, rainbow or retro variant it might have been like a $15 card and you know at the time like $10 for a marquee rookie that just came out a few months ago yeah and that might have actually been in the series that might have been in an, a, a series two type of card I don't know if it was in the update or if it was in the OPG set proper because 2021 was such a messed up year for cards and 2022 and 22, 23 and 23, 24 are all messed up years for cards. But yeah, sorry, Tim, just wanted to interject that, that at the time it was odd that a marquee rookie was selling for like 10 bucks. Yeah. And that, that solidifies kind of the point that I'm trying to make is this isn't that set. They're called marquee rookies, but as we've already discussed, if it's not a young gun, nobody gives a rat's, you know what anymore. And so this makes this a, a much more affordable alternative. And look, no matter how hard you try, trying to make MVP and an OPG set to be some crazy premium thing, no, that's not right. That's just not, it's not supposed to be that way. And, you know, here we are, just it's fallen into the, the same kind of hype machine and everything else look the other thing that bothers me about it and, and i'll stop with this one well peachy used to be you get your base cards you got your rainbow parallels and you get your retros and you have your various retro parallels which were like the rainbow and the black that was pretty much what you had then they introduced like another parallel and then another parallel and now we've got base parallels that are blue that are red that are purple we've got printing plates for the bases the marquee rookies and the all-stars also have the foils which are rainbow and black and green and gold and now now we've got all this other stuff that's now jammed into this set that's a set collector's set it's a set builder set you know nobody releases a six seven hundred card set for people to just throw away base cards. The whole idea of this is to put the set together. And I don't know. The price is the price is not conducive to doing something like that. You you always had to buy four or five boxes of this to have a chance of putting a, a vast majority of it together anyway. No one's buying four or five boxes of this that's building a set at $160 a box or $140 a box or even $100 a box. So, like I said, I'll go after it. This drops under 70 bucks. Easily, I'll go after it. I don't see that happening. If Bedard wins Rookie of the Year, that's definitely not going to happen. So, then you then you push the bar up. What are you willing to go to? Right now, I'm in this place. You know, down here. 
below my chin, right here on my logo of my sweatshirt that says so dumb, because that's exactly what this is. And if you're wondering where that comes from, that's a Shorzy reference, but so dumb. Because that's what it is. It's just, it's crazy. It's the world we live in. It's what we're left with. This is how we have to handle it. You're either in or you're out. You know, go after your singles if you want. But this has always been my set builder set, and I'm kind of disappointed this year. But, hey, that's just me. I'm the negative Nancy of the group, right? I'm always throwing out the, them positive vibes that are taken in the uh, non-plussed and unproductive realm. So. Look, it's it's hard to stay positive when you see boxes sealed wax going for you know almost twice as much as it should be, for example, or for a car that would normally be ten twenty dollars to be eighty five dollars. And look, this could be this this OPG set could be the gateway drug of the for the young gun. It could be the precursor of what we're we're going to see in just a few weeks. We're going to see. Those boxes come out and they're already selling for how much? Two something, right? For a series two? 300. No. 300. 300. Three to 350. Three, so we're right over now. 300 now. I mean, it started at two, 250, 300, now over yeah. 300 for a box. Okay. So now even buying a box of that is really going to be difficult. You're going to pay 30 bucks a pack. Right. That Which is, is right. There's a chance, a, a, a one in, well, one in it, you only get. Every other other pack has a young gun, so yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. But this, but there's what fifty young guns. So there's now... fifty young guns. The, the point is, is, so even yeah. if you get six young guns per box, I mean, your chances of getting the one that you want are are tough. I don't want to yeah, do the math be, now, but yeah, yeah, it's going to be extremely difficult. And if you even go crazy and buy the one box, you're going to be very disappointed. You, you're not going to get your value back, not at all. And in terms of singles, if Bedard is selling for $800 out of the gate, I mean, he's having a good year. He's probably going to win Rookie of the Year. That car will never go down. But how many be... are they going to print? Because if it, I'm up or down, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Billions. Turn on the matter. faucets and never stop. It doesn't matter. Look how many McDavid Young Gun cards are graded. 15,000? Yeah. I don't know. But uh, you know, it's, we're it's in the EPAC that. era. So more than that, okay. Yeah, and we're in. The, that's exactly perfect example, Sal. Exactly, because we're in the EPAC era now. Not only is it all the hard copies of everything that's printed, but that print run is carried across all platforms. So therefore, whatever's available to get all of the inserts at the print runs that are available. That has to be reserved as part of the EPAC platform. So not only are there going to be tons and tons of them in hard copies, there's going to be tons and tons of them pulled digitally that will be turned into hard copies. But it won't matter so, how many they print because if they overprint it and demand is high, it doesn't matter, right? Oh, like, exactly. It doesn't matter. It's right. printing money at this point. Yes. And it, it's like the – we talked about this, the Ken Griffey Jr. upper deck rookie card. It they printed that thing to death and it's still worth money all these years later graded, you know? And so this will be the same version of that and it'll just move the goalposts and people like us will be disgusted because we're the ones that collect the sets and the, disgusted. the star players. And what we're going to be like, well, we're priced out. What are we going to do now? Okay. And we have to watch all these guys in their bro cases 
ask you at the Chicago Sports Spectacular, do you have a Bedard Young Guns card? It's like, even if I bought one and I wanted to make a profit on it, what am I going to sell it to you for? $1,000? You know, like $1,500? I mean, what, what's the what's the limit here? Well, if it's so, a $700 card, they're going to want to pay me five. Right. So they can flip it at the trade night. That right. Night. And, and the joke <laughs> that I told everybody, like when I did the, the spe- Sports Spectacular in November, and people said to me, do you have the Connor Bedard super short print card from Series yeah. 1? And I'd said no. And then I'd say, you know, I went to the expo the Toronto Expo the previous weekend and everybody had it for $700. And then I smiled and said, I wasn't going to pay $700 for it so that I could sell it to you for 500. And they'd laugh because they knew right. that that's what they would offer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but yeah. I kind of made a joke of it. Like, well, I'm not going to buy it for 700 so I could turn around and sell it to you for 500. And they would chuckle. Cause you know, that's what they're thinking. Like, Oh, I'll give you 500 for right. Like, but like uh, you're a wholesaler or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But no, I mean, you know, the thing too is like, not to get off on a tangent and uh, we've gotten off on a lot of tangents, but like you can't please all of the people all of the time. You know what? And the guys at the bro cases, I realized a long time ago that they would be very hard to please because if I sell them a hundred dollar card, they're going to want it for 80 or $70, which means I'd have to pay $50, which means that I'd have to either have a card that's worth a hundred dollars and sell it for 70 or somebody who sells me a hundred dollar cards, I'd have to really squeeze them hard, you know, because I'd be like, well, I'm selling this to a guy who's only going to pay me $80 on a hundred. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't even mess with that. Right. Like I don't even mess with like getting those top dollar cards because the guys that want them are going to try to get them for 75% or 60% or whatever. Right. And I just worry about the collectors, you know, like I said, like, at one national when somebody stopped at my table and he's like, I love enforcers. And I said, Hey, I have this Chris Nyland rookie card. Really? And I got a Stu Grimson rookie card and I got a Bob Probert rookie card. And I sold over a hundred dollars of like just enforcer cards, rookie cards, Jersey cards, autographs that most of the bro cases wouldn't even even care about. Right. But to the right person, it was like, Oh my God, you have these cards. These are amazing. Right. And so, you know, so, that's why it's still fun for me because I haven't gotten obsessed with like how many Connor Bedard marquee rookie cards can I bring to the next show? Right. Do I have Connor Bedard cards? Of course. Am I going to sell Connor Bedard cards? Of course, but I'm probably going to be selling stuff that's more collector friendly in the price because I'm not going to beat myself up trying to get these cards for hundreds of dollars because either I have to then sell them for over that, which isn't collector friendly, or the guys that want to buy it to invest are not going to pay that anyways. So but you're not going, you're not going off on a tangent. What you're saying, I think, is that these people, these brocase people, are the ones driving the price up. And we know that's true because people are dipping into the hobby now, they're dipping into hockey just on the name of this one player. Right. And they're gonna dip out when when they get tired because they're they're not here for the long game, you know. Um but like I always said, I don't think the card price will go down the Young Guns card if he wins Rookie of the Year. Once that you raise that bar and it's a $1,000 card, why would it go down? So he gets hurt. He goes down a little bit, but doesn't go down that much. 
Like he'd have to win rookie of the year and then have like two Lafreniere like seasons all of a sudden to to to, to dip. And that's not going to happen because he gets plenty of playing time and he's a star and the league is banking on that now. Yeah, it's it, you know it, we sound like a broken record, but we're getting closer to that date now. And I think the Opichi set that just came out and the and the marquee rookie prices are just preparing us for that inevitability. I mean, I don't even know what the Easter egg card is going for. Because, you know, according to all the rules, right, isn't that really his first rookie card? Isn't that his real rookie card? It's the first one. Came out of a pack, right? You know, Technically, it's a draft card because it doesn't show him playing. Okay, so boom. So that's it. So that, right. So there you go. So 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 if you paid $800 for that card, you're a fool. Sorry. And, who knows what, you know, and what's going to happen with that card? With that, no, you're, you're going to be sitting on that card. Great. Because it's you know you can make all the arguments you want because it was the hot thing to have back in November and now people are like oh yeah the Easter egg card I don't even remember that card you know like yeah, whatever's so new ago. and shiny whatever's right. new and shiny is what they'll jump on look here's the last thing I'm gonna say about all this just because it's my cherry on top of of, of this whole entire statement and it's this those cheaper sets I've always built I put them together. Opeachy, not so much in a binder, like MVP goes in a binder with all the inserts and all that. Opeachy goes in a box, more or less. I love it. I like this design. I think it's really good. I like the retros. I didn't think I was going to like the retros with that weird rainbow thing in it that looks like, you know, NBC Peacock or whatever. I don't know what they were going for, but in person, I like it. I think it's cool looking. The black ones look even better, the black parallels. I have nothing against the set. I just have against, I'm just, I don't like what has happened to it. I understand it, but I don't have to like it. And to me, and this is my own personal world that I live in. This is my own personal take on it. Nobody else's boxes have never really been my thing to break. You know? Yeah. I bought boxes because how else are you going to get cards, especially larger quantities? And if you're building sets, that's the way to do it, obviously, without buying them full. But my wife got into collecting because of that very reason. She enjoys and has fun breaking open boxes. And I can't tell you the last box we've really bought to open because we can't. Nothing new. So anything we buy is old. Not even going to lie. The last box we opened together was a 91 92 upper deck box that i got for 12 bucks because i wanted to open something so that's what we went with and that's what we opened and i thought it was fun nobody else did just didn't know half the players were she couldn't pronounce some of the names so i thought that was fun it was entertaining for me and it was nostalgic but again what am i getting out of it i already have that set i already have most of the single cards in my player binders I don't really care about it, but it was just the, the that whole tangible thing of opening packs. You can't do that with new stuff. And the other bad part is my local card shop has all the new stuff. And most of the old stuff hasn't been replenished. So every your only options are, are the new. And when the prices got shot way up, like, for instance, the extended from 2021 that's been found at shows for like 29 bucks for a box. My local card shop's price is 70. So everything bumped. 
it's like this lift. So we talked about that lift, you know, rising tide raises. Yeah. Everything on the wall. You look at all the prices I'm going, wait a minute. Usually he was reasonably placed on like this stuff. Now it's all like crazy. And I, you know, so we haven't done anything. We haven't really, and she hasn't been interested in it. Now to me, what, what has that done to me? Okay. Any of my hobby money that I'm going to use, it's freed it all up for me to buy singles. I have plenty of projects I'm working on, team sets, player collections, all of that kind of stuff. And that's what I've pretty much used my money on for the last eight, nine, ten months. Because it's really all I can do. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. The other thing I noticed about this set is I usually used to see blaster boxes at like Target and other places. I have not seen them. I don't know if because people gobble them up or because I just have I haven't seen them. No, I'll tell you yeah. real quick. I've been monitoring my uh, local Target shop. Okay. Yeah, they haven't had them in in the store yet. I don't go to Walmart, but okay. I I've also been looking at Target.com and Walmart.com. Yeah. Walmart.com has them, but they're not being sold by Walmart. They're being sold by a third party person. Sure. They finally appeared on Target.com as of this week. That's okay. where I ordered my blasters from because okay. I get the five percent off. You know, right. I mean, I was gonna, I was thinking about buying them from the Upper Deck store. Then it's like, well, I'll just wait and see if they have them at my Target, or you know, because then I could just take them home that day. You know, as opposed to waiting. Although Upper Deck's really quick with shipping. But uh, yeah, so starting to see them at Target.com. So um, that's that's where I bought them. And I yeah, a few weeks I mean, ago, yeah. we were talking about this, remember? And mm-hmm. I said, I just watched a guy, or I didn't watch all of it, but somebody posted a, a break, 16 cases. Of this stuff. Of, of, of Opeachy. 16 cases. How many breakers would have been breaking 16 cases of Opeachy last year? Year before. Even even with Lauren here, never. Dude, I could tell you, I in uh, twelve thirteen, I bought a case of Opeachy because I really wanted to buy a full case because I wanted to build a complete set. I wanted to get. I just wanted to have. I just wanted to buy a case of something, and that was. What that run five six hundred bucks? It was five hundred bucks. For and a you case. know what, dude? It was tedious. It was <laughs> it, like it took me a long time to open. A lot of cards. It was still when they were like 32 packs in a box. So it was it was a lot of work to open 32 packs times I want to say it was 12 boxes. It was a lot. It was a lot of work. So I could if you said here's 16 cases, I'd be like, oh yay, too much of a good thing. Oh wait, so those breakers are, are gonna take all those base cards and just dump them, right? Yeah, I mean, they're just gonna they, yeah, they don't, they, just, right. they don't even, I've watched people, I, I watched somebody do a case break at uh, the upper deck booth to get like whatever the freebie was. And they just stood there, opened the pack, put the good card aside, didn't even look at the cards. They just basically that just picked out if it was a, an insert or a parallel or a short right. print, they right. put it in one pile and then they left and there was a, like a stack of cards, like two feet high on the counter that they just left behind right and they just opened it it, it was like it was like they weren't even enjoying it they were just well, doing like, it to do it that's like the breaker pavilion at the national like if you're looking for like a tops baseball set complete you can probably find one in a, in a box because they just dump all the they dump everything they don't they don't you they find don't. it in the trash can right next yeah. to the food. they're in yeah. the bins yeah they're, they're just in boxes and in bins and garbage because they don't want them and which is you know 
it's crazy. It's sacrilegious, but it's just totally crazy that this is what where we're at, you know, where, you know, you know, like this guy who broke the 16 cases, he's just looking for Bedard cards, everything else, and anything with a number on it, even that I don't think he cares about. Right. And so, you know, how many, you know, so he can sell for 85 bucks? I don't know. Is that worth it? I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. You know, mm. it's it, it's you know, but also tells you how much of this OPG stuff they print, they they printed. I mean, maybe it's always been overprinted. Who knows? Um, I never, you know, it was always very affordable, so I never really thought about it in terms of quantity because it was never. I never thought of it as any kind of investment. It was more for fun and you know and whatever. But um, but yeah, you know, look the the, the young guns cards. Yeah, anymore. yeah, the young guns cards coming out soon. So we'll 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 see. Yeah. And we can sit here and debate who's who's the bigger get off my lawn guy, all we want. But uh, well, I think anyone who collects <laughs> hockey seriously has to be thinking the same thing we're saying. We, we we're not we can't be in this some minority. We I'm sure we, most people who are hockey collectors, and I think the next expo is coming up too, right in April. And then serious hockey people go to the expo. They all have to be wondering like, what are we gonna do with this? Like, if you're a dealer and you have it and you want to sell it. People are gonna buy it, great. But otherwise, I don't know, you know, or if you 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 rip it and you get it and you put it, you know. I mean, the, the truth is, you know, the reality is if you buy a box of series two and you get this card, you're lucky enough to get his young guns. The smart thing to do is to sell immediately because you, the FOMO, you're gonna make a lot of money, and yeah, it might be worth more money in the future, who knows? But it doesn't make a lot of sense if a player who's only played in the league one year has a card worth more than rookie cards of, of, of famous other players or stars or McDavid or or Lemieux or you know Crosby. Everything it doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, I mean, compare a Ray Bork rookie card to a Kale McCarr rookie card. Which one's going to cost you more? Right. Yeah. No, and which true. one is had the longer, more storied career? As in the as a Hall of Fame, we're compared to a guy who could be, but not, not saying that Kale McCarr is a, at at all a bad player. I'm just saying that, like, no, you know, yeah. So that's the yeah. best part about comparing them because defensemen get no love in the hub. Right. If your name's not Orr, nobody cares. All right, gentlemen. Any last thoughts before we wrap this one up? We struck a negative tone, but we're not negative. We're just realistic about what's out there. And what no, we, we, we have a duty to tell people what's going yeah. on. And a lot of yeah. them know this, and some of them don't know this. Because, right. I mean, yeah. not everybody collects everything. And even I don't collect everything. But you guys collect some things that I don't and vice right. versa. So, yeah, I mean, we're being realistic. We're not giving you investment advice because that's not what we do other than like clemente said if you get it sell it because <laughs> that's the time to you know before the right, next it's hot it's a hot card sell it <laughs> yeah before the next shiny thing comes out before his uh sp authentic or his cup rookie mm. or whatever right there's going to be other stuff and i'm sure upper deck is going to think of a few other things to make as well who knows right like they did with that like star rookie set that was sold on epac a couple months back right like they're always going to come up with stuff to sell all right then i think this is a show i think this was a good show so thank you for listening to the puck junk hockey podcast as always if you've enjoyed the show please be sure to like and subscribe please be sure to leave us a review if you have a few minutes if you like to read there's the puck junk newsletter which you could sign up for at puckjunk.com newsletter there's also the Puck Junk blog at puckjunk.com. And until next time, collect what you like.
for more hockey goodness. Follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.